Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Is your fear causing you to be stuck, procrastinate, overeat, or hide under the covers? Well, then you are in the right place. This podcast, Break Fear, Find Your Freedom, is about people just like you. Interview people who have found their freedom and shed some fear. Some of them are still finding their freedom but they are ordinary people. So, sit back, grab your cup of coffee or your running shoes and let the fun begin. Oh, by the way, to the end, we have some fun, exciting competition just for you. So, I'm really excited to show you the way. Come in, listen and let's share the fun. Today, I've got this awesome, awesome guest, Justin Don. And Justin loves cats, but he also is more, much more than just loving cats. But I'll let Justin introduce himself. Hey, Justin, how are you today? Hello. Uh, It is uh, honored and I am grateful today because I'm here with you. So thank you very much for having me and for uh, that lovely introduction. You are correct. I am a crazy cat man or a proud (laughs) cat dad or a cat gentleman or cat lord i've been called many things uh but that's not my day job obviously so so but i am very well known for cats so who is justin don um do you know general Patton said i've been known by many names and many faces but it's always been me so that's almost a question that i i don't even know how to answer other than saying i am However, if you're asking, you know, what is it that I do or what is it that I offer people or what is it that, uh, you know, people work with me for, then professionally, I'm a business strategist Mm -hmm. and I help businesses to achieve certain results and overcome certain things. Your audience is not necessarily interested in that topic, so I'm not here to sell those services, but the kinds of things that we work on with the business and the strategies achieve are you know, the doubling of profits and productivity, Mm -hmm. the tenfold increases of money, the quadrupling of income and clients, various measurable outcomes like that is what I help them to achieve. And that's, that's what I do professionally and and as a strategist, as a consultant and, and all of that. So, um, I don't know. I enjoy it. I seem to, to be pretty good at it. So I earn a living doing that. Oh, Other than that, Justin is a uh, what's called a cultural creative. And uh, for anyone who is curious about what that is, it's a two minute read on Wikipedia. So just go two minutes. You'll know all the characteristics. 
about being a cultural creative. Uh, it's not just being a creative person. It's a whole thing. There's about 50 million of them on planet Earth. And so that's that it is. So I have, uh, you know, play classical piano. I have a second degree black belt in karate. I speak six languages. I'm interested in these things. These are the things that I'm interested in. And so I dive and I have a tendency to dive deep when I do that. So those are many facets to my personality and there's lots more as well. So rather than talk all about me, <laughs> um, you know, you let me know what you would like to do on your show. Thank you, Justin. Well, there's so many, so many things. I think that just calls itself to a whole series of interviews, right? Or conversation. Conversations is more better. The whole series of conversations. So we'll put that on the back burner. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think what I'd like to just hone in uh, is on productivity and productivity. How people, a lot of us feel like, oh, there's so much to do and where do we start and how do we have a productive day even though sometimes you know i'm doing this 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 and this but at the end of the day it's like oh i don't think i'll have a productive day because i didn't really yeah it's a that is a very interesting topic um karina am i saying your name correctly karina yes karina beautiful Thanks. so the reason i say it's an interesting topic is because the the sentiment that you're expressing there could come from many different things it could come from someone really just being an unproductive person and lazy or whatever mm -hmm. it could come from someone having an issue with being okay with their productivity maybe they're a perfectionist and they've been very productive and yet they feel unproductive i have a tendency to do that so i can say that where people look at me and they say oh my god i can't believe you did that much and i i still feel lousy like i haven't achieved anything for the day mm -hmm. uh, not often not, not often but it does it does occur that 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 emotion comes up in me also laziness you know sometimes i just need a lazy day but it could also come from just somebody not necessarily having the tools or the perspective on it however there's one more thing that I've observed, and you're welcome to disagree with me on it, which is an observation I've made on sort of what's going on in our societies today. Mm -hmm. There is a trend out there generally promulgated by most gurus. Mm -hmm. And I'll name them. That's fine, because it's a good, it's a good strategy to get attention. People like Gary Vaynerchuk, people like Grant Cardone, these are good, good people. I'm not questioning their integrity. I'm not questioning all the, but there is a line with all of them that they parrot in their own way, which is about how hard they work and toil and grind and hustle and, yeah. and suffer. And that line in my observation is false. Whenever mm -hmm. I've heard them say these things, and teach these things about how hard you have to work, my BS meter goes off. I think that the truth is, and this is potentially controversial, is to get other people to work hard on your behalf. Mm -hmm. And you don't work so hard, but you have to convince them that you are working hard in order to perpetuate that myth. So the example of Gary Vaynerchuk, when he first started, he was, you know, he's saying how hard he hustled and worked. Well, his father 
owned a multi-million dollar wine store retail outlet. Gary would never have been able to achieve what he achieved. Never. Impossible in the physical universe to do that because there's only 24 hours in a day had his father not supported him Mm. in his endeavors because you cannot realistically be on social media eight, 10 hours a day and run a business. I can't serve my clients and be on social media the way he recommends. Mm. You also can't be on social media to that degree, you know, as, as he likes to say, tweet from the toilet at three in the morning and survive. You will die. (laughs) You need sleep. The body has to regenerate. I, interviewed Dr. Michael Bruce, the world's greatest sleep expert, the sleep doctor. He is the advisor to presidents and celebrities. Wow, yes. The myth he broke for me is that certain president used to boast that he only sleeps four hours a day. He says, it's not true. He says that, he likes to say that, but trust me, he sleeps more than that. He's his doctor, his sleep doctor. So it's a myth out there. And there's lots of conspiracy theories as to why, and you know they, they're, they're perpetuating this myth, but I put that to one side because I can't validate those. They may be true, mm-hmm. but what I do know is that it's not true. Unless of course you count thinking as hard work, but you know, just because you've been thinking about your business 24 hours a day, doesn't mean it's toil because the way they present it, it seems like toil and hard work and, The issue with that is that I believe that that is harmful. That myth is harmful Mm -hmm. because the body needs a balance of rest and work, action and contemplation. There has to be a balance for that. Meditation and action. There needs to be a balance. You you, You can't live a healthy life if you just sit there and rot away as the fleas attack you and meditate 24 hours a day for the rest of your life. You need action. You need to go eat. You need to go to the toilet. You need to take a shower. You need to work. You need to work. You know, maybe not work. Maybe you're independently wealthy, but you need to do some action if it's only just to clean yourself. Mm -hmm. But you also need the rest. You can't just be action, action, action all the time. Even the most action oriented people on earth, like, I don't know, Tom Cruise, he does sleep. (laughs) Yes, do that. He does take time for his own personal development. Now, mm. for him, he makes his, it's not meditation. For him, it's the, the choice that he made with his religious practices. But those are beautiful. Those are wonderful things to do because yes, he's yes. taking time for self-care. He is to, as action or as motorcycles, he does take that time. Mm-hmm. And everybody successful takes that time. It might be their own way but a lot of them never tell you about that. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that they only work four hours a day and the rest of the time they're contemplating, they're thinking, they're being inspired. They're taking that time and presenting it to you as if it's work time. Because it is, it's time where they're being creative and they're allowing the inspiration to flow into them but they're presenting it to you in a way that makes you feel potentially guilty because you're not behind your computer typing away, building a funnel, or you're not at work or you're not serving a customer or whatever it is that your job is because you're taking time away from that. You now feel 
guilty, but your <laughs> okay. time away from that, your is equally effective and part of work as anything else. Unless of course, it's doing drugs or committing a crime, unless it's something really harmful, then it doesn't count, of course not. Of course. But not. If, it's, if it's a healthy release, if it's eating, if it's enjoying something, of course, if it's drinking to excess and alcoholism, no, that doesn't count. But if it's enjoying, you know, glass of wine, whatever, then that's okay. I don't promote out, I'm not promoting alcohol. I'm just saying whatever it is that the person makes as a choice mm. is fine as long as the mental is there and the emotional is there and then there's no guilt attached to it. But where does the guilt come from? It could come from many of those potential sources because potentially, you know, you are lazy. And so of course you feel guilty because you should be working, but potentially that's not true. Potentially it's perpetuated by that myth. I personally observe that most people burn themselves out and then feel guilty when their body or their mind forces themselves to rest. Yeah. That's my experience. There, there's very few actually lazy people out there. They exist, but there's very few people out there that are actually just you know, wasteful people. So, and then of course, there's the perfectionists like me who sometimes feel that no matter how productive they're actually, they actually are, they didn't achieve just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so that's another issue entirely. So that's my observation when it comes to productivity. And then of course, there's prioritization and tools to do lots of, lots of things that can come into that. But here's another example. Um, I heard this from Tim Ferriss, the famous author of The 4-Hour Workweek. Oh, work yeah. and, and I think that book has a lot of mythology in it as well. I, I don't believe that what he says is actually realizable in the world uh, to the degree or the extent that he presents it as. But it's a good book and there's a lot of good tips in there. But one of the things that he mentioned, I think it was in a podcast, I don't remember exactly where, is I think he called it the big domino. When he thinks about what he's gonna do for the day, he's, his day starts up, they asked him like, what do you do with your day? He's like, you're gonna be really bored, it's boring. He wakes up, he has some tea, he meditates, he goes for a walk, he does all these different things. Mm -hmm. But he does decide on what is that, what is the one big thing that he can achieve that day that is the big domino that kind of knocks all the other ones and, and helps them to move along. Mm -hmm. And that way, if he does it, he's had a productive day. If he does more, great. If he does less, okay, then he needs okay. to reevaluate and see why he didn't do at least the one big thing. So that's a, I think a really good strategy is to, is to just, and, and people sometimes lack that. And so they don't, they, they just approach their day randomly. Mm -hmm. And of course they don't feel productive because they may have achieved 50 things, but because they didn't do it intentionally, they didn't, intend to do it they just they just did it they never have that feeling of i've completed my stuff for the day so whether it's one big thing or six things like the great ivy lee used to used to recommend do one at a time but it's you know you should decide on six priorities for the day but whatever the number is it, as long as it's not too many um <laughs> then it's a good idea to have something in place some kind of tool like that it doesn't have to be anything that you buy it can be something you develop yourself so I don't know what you think about that, but that's my opinion on productivity. 
Yes, I love that. I, and that's very true because I, I love Gary Vee, you know, I just, I, he's, he's really cool. He's got a, a nice vibe or whatever, but he's that grinding all the time. Is, it does make you feel guilty because you think, wow, I've worked so many hours in this day and I haven't accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. And I'm never going to get to that level. It's crazy. So it really works with your mind. You're right there. It yeah, it messes your, with you. It and whether he you. actually hustles and grinds to the extent that he claims he does, I find that dubious. I really, I really would would uh, question whether he actually, on a consistent basis, all year long, you know, does what he says he does. With all of these celebrities and famous people, I think you're a lot safer not to do what they say, <laughs> but to watch them watch they... and replicate what they do, what they're yeah. actually doing. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is most of these people have teams working with them. Yes. They don't tell you that necessarily, but you know for, that's why I say for a business person to do the extent of social media that, that Grant Cardone and Gary Vee recommend is not possible. If you own a cafe and you own a restaurant, you're not going to be able to be omnipresent on social media to that to the way he is. Yes. He has a team of people that follow him around. So when inspiration strikes, the assistant, you know, hits the record button and he does it. Or, you know, and, and then they have a team to edit it to make sure he looks good. And if it's unedited, that's sometimes good too, because sometimes you want to not look perfect. And they have mm -hmm. they just and they have a whole strategy of what goes out when and everything and it's beautifully organized but it's not done by themselves alone in an they're not a one-man band yeah. they have a team and that's another thing to really keep in mind before we start feeling guilty and beating ourselves up by how much we're doing keep in mind the people who are telling this us they probably have a team of five to ten people helping them do all of that of if you're by yourself you're going to be able to achieve a tenth of what they do, and you should be very, very happy and very yes. productive doing that. And then, of course, yeah, grow a team, hire some people, get some freelancers and not freelance, hire full-time folks and, and then be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But we need to keep that in mind as human beings. And the other thing we need to keep in mind is we're not all wired the same way. Yes, of course. I am not a hustle and grind kind of worker. I hate that. That's not in my personality. And honestly, if that's what it takes to succeed, I'll be a failure. I, I, I won't, I won't <laughs> I succeed because it's not in my nature mm. to behave that way. We're wired differently. I'm more of an artist. I told you earlier, I play the piano. I do some painting. Creative people need unstructured time. We can't be military. Uh, creativity does not flow you know, I can't force myself to create a musical composition or write a poem at three o'clock every day. It's the inspiration comes when it comes, generally at moments when you're not expecting it, when you're walking in nature or, or you're just enjoying a relaxed moment. It yeah. flows from that because the beta waves don't necessarily, uh, of the brain don't necessarily allow that to come through. Those are very intellectual. You need mm -hmm. to be in that more relaxed state. And so I, really think that um, depending on who we are and our nature, we need to really look at that and say, before we start feeling guilty, look at, you know, what's your life like? What are you like? You're, you're, you're not necessarily, we're not all built that way. We're not all those kind of dynamic dynamos. We have different metabolisms too, for, you know, for God's sake, some people are fatter, some people are thinner. I have a friend of mine, 
I think he's 70 or something like that. He posted today on social media that he's having a problem. He's losing a little bit too much weight. Oh. <laughs> and, and he's like, I, I know I apologize that I have, if I could only like bottle my metabolism and sell it, I'd be a billionaire. But you know, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't gain weight. I have trouble gaining weight. And, I, and I'm like, at, especially at 70, can you imagine having trouble gaining weight? I, I, everybody's <laughs> seething with jealousy. But do you see, he's not wired the way we have different metabolisms, some slower, some faster. And sure, you can do lots of biohacking to, to, to improve or to, to do, I don't, I shouldn't say improve, but to make, maybe get a little more energy or get a little bit more productivity out of your hours and days. Yes, yes. But still, there's a basic genetics. There's a basic way that our bodies are built. Our minds are wired. And of course, spiritually, we can rise above any of that, any of it, but we need to realize that that could produce stress. Mm. Just depends. But that's what makes life so exciting is that the difference, the difference that we, the, we, the different people we are and, you know, yeah. coming into contact with all the different people with all the different ideas and we're not robots, even though some people tend to think that we are in all craziness that's happening um so <laughs> so i love that justin i think there's so much there um to unpack but um i think i'm going to just take it one step further and ask you about um how you've coped with fear or how you so cope with fear or have you really had something that's been so drastic in your life that's just changed everything Okay, well, of course, a whole lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are those are two very different questions because you know, of course, I've had experiences that have caused drastic changes. I've I've lost loved ones. I've had relationships. I've been dumped. I've been fired. You know, I've had these things, and I'm like, oh God, what am I going to do? Mm. You know, as far as whether the emotion experienced is fear or whether it's anxiety or whether it's those are. A little bit difficult to judge it's probably it's probably a little bit more uh an anxiety an anxious feeling when something unexpected comes about rather than a bona fide fear a bona fide fear is when you just want to run away mm. uh it's mm. not it's not we, we we also need to be very clear that fear doesn't mean you feel nervous nervous is different that anx anxious and nervous that's not fear that's anxious and nervous mm. butterflies in your stomach that's not fear that's nerves. Fear is when you have that impulse, that desire to run away. So okay. if you're about to go on stage and you have butterflies in your stomach and you're shaking a little bit, that's not fear. If you're about to go on stage and then you run away and people have to find <laughs> out, find you, and you're in your and you're in your room, you're you're in the green room, you know, looking around, that's fear. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that if if by fear you mean, because a lot of people, I believe, when they start to throw that word around, they actually just mean nervous or anxious, or they don't mean actual fear. No. And so I think it's a really interesting thing. So have I felt fear? I mean, I don't know that there's been a moment in my life where I felt actual fear, where I need to run away, where, where something was you know, threatening to the degree where I run away. Mm -hmm. um, there has been you know, times where I've not confronted something, but again, that's not 
fear. Just because you didn't face it doesn't mean that it was fear. I didn't run away. I just didn't want to face that at the moment. I, whether that was from nervous or anxiousness or whatever, it wasn't that bona fide fear. So mm -hmm. again, I, I'd like to be clear on what specific emotion we're talking about. Okay. Yes. So what I'm saying is the fear, the fear where you run away, where you hide in the corner and you shake and you think, I really yeah. don't, I, I don't want to deal with this or you hide under so, the covers. Yeah. So personally that's happened to me once when I was a little kid and I had this strange beetle on my, on, that came and, and sat on my ear and I, and I was little and I was, I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And I ran and I fear. And then I was, I was scared. It was a, you know, looking back on it, it's funny because it's a beetle. Beetles don't sting. They don't hurt. It was just, it was, a, but it was big. It was an insect. It, I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was a leaf. And then I was like, and my grandmother had to come and rescue me and all of that. So, so that's it. And I think another time, again, when I was a little boy and I did something, this is where, this is where it's important because this might be effective for a lot of adults as well, but I was a little kid and you know my little brother was still a baby and i was jealous and i was having a, a thing with my mom she didn't want to give me something so i smashed the um the 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 storm door we called it where i grew up in michigan mm -hmm. and uh so i smashed the glass it went everywhere i cut myself and i ran mm -hmm. I, I ran away i ran away like the little boy ran away and um eventually i came back and you know they found me and they're like oh you know they mom treated the the cut and you know mm -hmm. told me i don't need to run away you know she still loves me and all that but i that was that was fear that was fear of you know i broke something i did something i shouldn't do i committed a really bad thing i mean in perspective it's not that big of a deal but it was for me it was a huge deal i broke something in the house that was you know valuable it wasn't it wasn't just a plate it was like the door and so that caused to the fear in me and i think for a lot of people when we do something that we shouldn't do we know we shouldn't do mm -hmm. it that could trigger that fear i need to run away uh-oh who's gonna find out will i get caught yeah. So it will trigger, of course, nervous and anxiety as well about worried about, do they know? Do they know? Does she know? Does my manager know? You know, there's that worried about, uh-oh, I wonder if he knows that I stole the pens from the office. You know, yeah. that, there's that, that kind of thing. But then there's also the fear that could get triggered as well, which means we want to run away or quit the job, you know, something mm -hmm. that is really a heightened and aroused emotional state. I love I love that, um, Justin. And how would you how would people cope with that besides just standing, just facing, facing their fear, right? facing the monsters? What did, what would would you say would be the easiest thing to actually go back and face that? Because it's very hard. It's very hard to stand and stare at that fear and face it. Yeah, I mean, when somebody's feeling an emotion of fear, unless they're able to, you know, somehow transcend that uh there's no there's no it's it's a natural reaction it's it, it's in nature it's designed to preserve you alive it's designed for the survival to flee the danger the threat to life so when that is triggered it's very hard to to overcome that it is possible but you have to you know be able to transcend that you have to, whether through meditation or whatever you know in other words it's a spiritual practice more than anything physical or mental however when it's triggered when when fears get triggered by something that you've done 
you know, the best way to do that is to unburden that, to get, to, to, to get that weight off your shoulder. Now, if you're Catholic, you can just go to confessional. You have a tool ready there for you. But for those of us who are not Catholic, there are ways to do that that are, don't involve religion. And if you remember the, um, so you might not remember, but if you know about Napoleon Hill's six honest serving men, and I'll use them until I die, they are what, when, where, who, how, and why. <laughs> so, so using those words in a different context. So those have been used in, you know, customer service. They've been used in lots of different things mm -hmm. in conversation as ways to build rapport. But there is another use for them that I, you never mentioned that I personally bring to people, which is for that purpose. So if you start by writing down, so you don't need to talk. It could be a journaling exercise. Nobody has to find out. But you start by looking at when. Whatever it is that's bothering you, the, you know, it's, I, what, what's an example? You, you know, stole some money out of the till at work, you know, or you stole, embezzled some funds from your employer, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is that you've done, um, or, or like me, you broke the thing, you know, the, uh, so you start by looking at when it happened. You look at it mechanically, you break it down in the mechanics of it so that it no longer becomes this strange thing in there, but you now understand when it happened. And you get as specific as you can, obviously. If you, can, if you know exactly what time it happened, good. But if you don't know the time, you just as close as you can get to it. Mm -hmm. And then you look at where it happened. Where look, so, so you go from what, what position in time, when in time did this occur? Now you look at where in space did this happen? Mm -hmm. At home, in the workplace, the office. Again, you get as specific as you can in the cupboard and wherever. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the other, um, the other ones of this. So the other, the other serving men, it's, the sequence is important to start with when, where, and then you look at how things are arranged. So you, you, you say, okay, you know, the manager was upstairs. So you look at who, for example, the, so who was involved, you know, manager, you know, the, uh, my wife, you know, my mom, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. you look at who was it, the other employees, the secretary walked by, whatever it is. Uh, and so you look at, all of those different things. You look at who was involved, how it was arranged, the door was left open, so I snuck in or whatever. <laughs> the till, was, you know, so the manager forgot to count the extra hundred. Again, there's so many examples, but you look at the way things are arranged, yes. the, the, the form of things and, and those numbers. And, and, and you end with looking at the event that happened. So you end with the question, what happened? So mm. you have all those other chunks what, where, and then you end with what happened, what occurred, you name it. I stole a hundred dollars from the cash register mm. or I embezzled $50,000 off of the company accounts or I claimed expenses I shouldn't have claimed, whatever it is, you know, mm. I'm using workplace examples. It could be, and I slapped my son and I, I lost my temper. He did not deserve that. Whatever it is, what whether is. it's in the context mm. at home or the, so you look at, those kind of things because you know you slap your child these days you might be in a total anxiety about getting caught getting social services on you if he says anything to the teacher i wonder if they know i wonder if he told his friends you know you yeah. could end up in a real 
you know, mind mess from just losing your temper and slapping your kid. Yeah. But so, so it could be anything, <laughs> but you end with what happened and you name the thing. And then you just, and then you just take a look at it and you, you, and now it's on paper. Now it's mechanical. And you repeat that, you repeat the process until you feel a sense of relief. And then you stop because you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. You don't want to go too far. So you start, you feel the relief. You'll know because it'd be feel like a weight's been lifted off your shoulders and then you're done mm. until you need to do it again. And you can burn the papers. You do what you want with them. You, you don't have to save them. You don't have to read them. There's no ritual involved in it. There's no religious connotation to it. You do what you want with them. You can show somebody if you want, but you know, that could be dangerous. Yeah, but it's important to get it out of your head and onto paper. It's, it's not something you should be doing, like just thinking about it, like meditating or something. Don't do that. You get it out of the head onto the paper and it should be physical paper, ideally not, not a digital product. It could be, but ideally paper because there's a lot more mechanics involved in handwriting, about 3000 movements. There's only about seven movements in, in typing. And yeah. if you use your thumbs, then there's even less. But um, so you want, you want to ideally do that and then you're done. And then you feel the relief and you're done. People, if they try that experiment, if they just try that, they will feel a sense of relief and they will feel the fear that might get, that gets triggered doesn't get triggered anymore or gets triggered to such a less extent that they're now able to face it and, and overcome it and confront it. So that's something that I would highly recommend for the context of that, that trigger. Because again, if it's a, if it's this, this won't work. If you go to the zoo and the lion cage is left open and the lion is in front of you and, oh my God, you're now in fear. No, you should just run away from the lion. <laughs> you know? So it won't work. You know, you could be the, the, you could be a saint and, and just unburden all of these sins, you know, and, and the lion might still eat you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the context. So in that context, that is my, my, uh, probably my biggest suggestion um, it's something that I've used successfully with people along with a few other steps in a process so that they feel a, a tremendous amount of inner peace, a greater sense of inner peace. And what does that mean? Well, that means that those little fears, they, they're going away. Mm, I love that. It's, it's very nice to have someone actually have a process that they can go through and, and fight that face it or fight it to running away just the the monster becomes bigger and bigger and bigger right as they run away as you run away from it what about freedom have you found your freedom or are you still looking for freedom or is it a process i think yeah it's 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 a really oh in history it's been a really great marketing gimmick freedom uh, so people have been seeking freedom for centuries mm. and seeking it seeking it seeking it and societies have been wanting america was founded on the principles of freedom you know because they didn't feel they had freedom where they were originating in england mm. so it depends what you mean. I mean, do I feel free? I mean, to an extent, I'm free to do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. But to an extent, I'm also at home. And I'm not traveling right now, because I don't necessarily feel free to travel because of the situation happening in the world today. Mm -hmm. So 
it, I it think it's it just depends on the context that you mean about it. You know, the, the really great book called, uh, and I think it was made by a movie by Angelina Jolie called Unbroken. I think it was called Unbroken. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Mm. And then there's another book called uh, called Shantaram. Very, very long book. It's a fiction book. Well, no, it's a, based on a true story. And I think the whole point of the book is that you really are free because no matter what they do to your body, and I'm not saying it, the man was tortured, he was a prisoner of war. So those things are not pleasant. But no matter what's done to you, you can still go anywhere you want to in your mind. So, mm-hmm. you know, he would do that. He would, he would just zone out and go to the beach or whatever in his mind and while he was being tortured. And so they never broke him. They never, they never got him to reveal secrets and, you know, and, and, and do the stuff that they do under torture you know, they, <laughs> uh, to, to, to enemies. So it's interesting because to a degree, you know, we're free. In other areas, we're not so free. Whether or not that freedom is something to seek and strive for is also a, a question. It's not. It's not something that I have an answer to. It's one of these, you know, you know, one of these not not imponderables, but um, you know, I'm trying to remember the word for it. But but there's a word for that. Something that is a very nebulous thing because. Mm-hmm. To have a game, let's say you want to play a game of football or basketball or whatever, there has to be some freedom, but there also has to be some barriers. You can't just do whatever you want with the ball. So there's going to be some freedom. There's going to be some barriers, some rules, some players, there's going to, you know, and then you have a game. And life is the same way. If it was just absolute freedom, then, you know, there, there's nothing to do. It's boring. There's, there, there is no life without some barriers, some restrictions. In a political society, there is um, a wonderful theory that I helped develop about uh, freedom, order, and equality. And those three things are kind of mutually exclusive, meaning that the more freedom you have, the less order and equality you have. The more order you have, the less freedom and the less equality you have. The more equality you have, well, the less freedom and the less order you have in the society. And it's not that particular way of looking at things is not to pass judgment on a political philosophy or anything. It's just to say that different societies develop their preferences and develop their things based on those three factors. So mm-hmm. some societies are more free, and, but they're a little bit less orderly and a little bit less equal. Other, other societies are more equal, but they're a little less free and they're a little, and it just depends on where someone is, <coughs> is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now, human beings, I believe, have a, a tendency to desire greater freedom and greater liberty. And so too much order and equality turns into oppression and we don't want that. Yeah. But we do want a little bit of order. <clears throat> I don't think anybody wants to live in total anarchy and the threat of violence and death every day. So we want some order. We want some equality as well. We want to know that, you know, (coughs) it's not just all about, you know, total freedom, but, you know, some people of course are going to be more, are going to be like super trillionaires and others are going to be dying on the streets. Mm. You know, we want some equality in the society. 
Now, how much do we want total communism? No, I don't. No. But we want some levels of those. So I don't think really we all want all of you know freedom at the expense of everything else. So it's a it's been used as a way I'll free you of your sins or I'll free you of this, I'll free, you know, freedom from, that's been used, I think around World War II, um, the freedom from this, freedom from want, freedom, it's been used as a gimmick. Mm -hmm. But also, it's also a personal thing, don't you think that your freedom is not the same as my freedom anyway, right? We'll have different preferences. That's how, and, and, and that's what I meant is on a societal level. Also, we have different preferences. We group, group together in, in different societies. Look, there's nothing wrong with, I forget which Scandinavian country it is, <clears throat> but they have a lot more equality. Mm. They, have, they have a lot more equality. Education is free. You can get your master's degree and it won't cost you a penny. Mm -hmm. That's not so bad. That doesn't sound bad to me. <laughs> a lot of Americans would think, oh, yeah, but how much is their taxes? Well, yeah, they have high taxes. There is a ceiling. Mm. You cannot go, you cannot be born there, <laughs> live there your whole life, and expect to be a, a super billionaire like Elon Musk. It's yeah. not that free. Yeah. But yeah. it's not some it's not an oppressive regime. <clears throat> it's <clears throat> it's just not totally free like that. Mm -hmm. Because they preference that also people generally don't have to worry about old age or about employment or about homelessness those things are taken care of yeah and they value that taking care of each other in that society that's a that's a preference and that's i don't see anything wrong with that no i think um and also talking about taking care i think that's something that we've all got to start learning is to take care of each other and to help each other up rather than be you know beat each other down well that's sure just... and i think that's that's a whole other thing and and um but that will be a more that's a whole... <laughs> because freedom doesn't have anything to do with that because no, we can be completely free and compassionate and caring and nurturing and taking care of each other or we can be totally selfish and self-centered and everybody's you know that's you know everybody's in it for me and and that's it you know the the scary thing you know so i i like ann rand's book but it's also scary because some of the stuff that she promotes in her philosophy is this sort of very egoistic you know uh, view of the world where everybody is all about themselves first i personally don't find that to be true i think people of course can be indoctrinated into that but i think we have a unless of course you're a sociopath you have a natural tendency to actually put other people first mm -hmm. whether that's family or whether that's friends there is a natural tendency to sacrifice and that's a beautiful thing a beautiful commentary on humanity that we are naturally compassionate for each other yes. we become selfish through suffering and degradation so it, it, it you know so freedom can accompany either one of those you can mm. we can be totally selfish and evil and robbing people and stealing and killing or we could be totally compassionate and nurturing and supportive of each other freedom is a completely different issue from that mm. and so you know you have the freedom to choose the lifestyle that you want and of course then we talk about what limits we put on it so you know, you know, people, philosophers have argued about, 
okay, so you're free to choose what you want as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others. Mm, mm, mm. See, that's already a restriction on your freedom. So you're already just a little bit less free because if you desire to murder or rape or do something like that, well, no, you can't do that. Yes. You're not free to do that because that's now infringing on the rights, the values, the sanctity and the life of someone else. Mm, mm, so, it's already, so we agree that there's already some restrictions that are good and that are favorable. There's a funny French saying, a comedian coined it, not me, um, which means it is forbidden to forbid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's really amusing, but it actually is kind of clever and kind of profound if you think about it. Because um, it's forbidden to forbid. So it's created this little twist of, right, so wait, <laughs> it's, this mental, it's a brain fart. Really. I love that. Um, oh, thank you, Justin. Uh, yeah, well, what about you in your actual, in your life? Um, just taking maybe a bit of a personal thing besides you slamming the door and breaking it and running away have you ever after that experienced such fear that you didn't know what to do with yourself after being a little kid um not really no i mean i've had moments of anxiety i've had moments of you know <clears throat> worry worrying about you know what what is going to happen uh and i think those were very natural uh, you know i you, you mentioned earlier something which I think is really important, uh, which is that we're not robots. Yes. And so I think I would like to say and really emphasize, and I hope people take it on board, emotion is not bad. Emotion is not to be feared. There's that word again. It's not to be run away from. Yes. The worst thing that we could do is to become numb automatons to drug ourselves into a placid, steady state where we don't have highs and lows ever. Now, I'm not saying that somebody who, who has a condition that is unhealthy, where they go from suicidal to ecstatic, that, that is a, too much. Yes. But yes. having emotion is a good thing. Mm. You know, we, we should not run to medication every time because we experience anxiety. Perhaps that anxiety is merited. Perhaps you, you're living in a house. The, the solution to a tense household is not medication. The solution to a tense household is what's going on in the household that's creating the tension. And if we medicate the person, what we're doing is we're validating and condoning the tension. The tension could be abusive, for example. Hmm. The solution to somebody who is being abused in a relationship is not medicine. It's to remove the abuse. And so we need to be very clear on the source being external to us. If we have depression, is that depression caused internally? It could be, mm. but if it's not, then we need to be careful because if that depression was actually caused by a horrible life situation, medicating it is actually just validating the situation that is caused that depression mm -hmm. and so the person yeah they'll be flat and numb to it but they're still going to be living in the same condition that triggered them to be depressive yes. and that's where we need to be careful and not to validate that because what then happens is for example let's say there's a person in the workplace that is constantly being 
abusive or discriminatory. And the person then is depressed because their work is never validated. Their work, you know, let's say it's a manager who is perhaps a, a sociopath, mm-hmm. you know, and is constantly invalidating. And so the person is depressed. I know someone like this. And the person is depressed and has depression because their boss is yeah. a sociopath, undetected. Yeah. They're not murderers, but they're just make them feel that way. Mm. Well, if the person gets medication, then they'll feel flat and numb to it, but they're still going to be in that situation. Mm. But if we have any sense of responsibility to our fellows, then we also realize that we have now validated that bad manager, that sociopath, that person who uses techniques that hurt people Mm, and mm. we're allowing them to get away with it and Mm. we're allowing them to actually thrive and get ahead so the solution is not medication the solution is to extract the situation or to expose the situation and it might and it might blow up but that's what i'm saying is emotion is not a bad thing if it blows up if you get fired yes you will have anxiety yes you might cry and have grief Yes, you might feel antagonistic and angry, but these things are not bad. We should not be afraid of strong emotion, Mm. whether that's anger or whether that whatever, as long as, of course, we don't become violent and murder people, but we shouldn't be afraid of the emotion of an argument, of an antagonistic screaming match with someone. There is nothing inherently wrong with that. However, there is something inherently wrong with being so unable to confront emotion that we avoid that confrontation at all costs, Mm. including our own well-being. Because there are a tremendous amount of people, especially here in in the UK, that avoid confrontation at all costs, including their own well-being. And their well-being suffers, their mental health suffers, only because they are so intensely polite that they will never confront, they will never tell the truth, They will never do that because Mm. they're afraid of strong emotion, feeling it, experiencing it, seeing it in someone else. I'm not afraid to see someone cry. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. That's okay. That's Mm. actually something can be, can be not always, but can be very healthy for them to release that grief and lose what, you know, that loss of lose whatever it is they were holding on to. I had that at work once, an Mm. employee like that once I gave him, a very stern and strict, you know, dressing down, which was needed because there were health and safety violations happening and gross misconduct. Mm. And he cried, he cried, he was crying. Now, if I was afraid to see, oh my God, I made him cry. Am I going to get sued? This, no, it's cool. Mm. When he was finished crying, we went back to doing what we needed to do and we saved his career. We saved his career. Yes. And he yes. stopped doing that. He released that part of him that, you know, was holding on to the, you know, bad behavior at work mm-hmm. by crying. And that was great. But you, you can't be afraid of these emotions. And, and so many people are afraid of them. And so fear is another one. It's an emotion, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so if you need to run away, well, you, you run away and you live to fight another day. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the thing as I would not be fearful of it, but I would handle what needs to be handled that is triggering it. Hence the tool, the technique I shared with everybody today, or potentially, you know, you just need to 
you know, you just need to run away. You know? <laughs> and so it's not, it's not feeding the fear. It's living to fight another day. Mm-hmm. And if we just reframe it that way, then we don't need to beat ourselves up because we have experienced an emotion, a strong one, yes. you know? And so that's, that, that would be a, a very important piece of advice because what I, I would hate to see as a society of robots where it's forbidden to express emotion, mm-hmm. where, where, you know, whether that emotion is, you know, whether you're, you know, whatever it is, where, where only actors can do that on, in a performance and, and real people cannot express emotion. I, I would not want to live in a place in a society like that where we're all drugged into numbness. That's not that's not fun. I'm not saying it's fun to to you know to to be dumped and experience grief and loss. That wasn't fun, or to be fired and experience anxiety. Oh my God, where where am I going to make money? What am I going to do? I've experienced that. I'm not saying that's fun, but there's nothing wrong with experiencing that, and it is a very appropriate emotion to the circumstance. Mm-hmm. very appropriate to the circumstance so uh you know i i for example you know i i, I r- ran for an office in an organization once which was very prestigious and i really wanted to do it and i really thought i was going there was no way i was going to lose and then i found out that i'd lost and and as i was crying i was in my room and i, I felt really lost about that i was really and then i went and then i got really angry and and all that and those strong emotions are great Mm-hmm. Again, not, not fun when you're in it, but not to be feared, not to be fled from, not to be non-confronted, not to be avoided, because mm-hmm. the way out is the way through. Yes. You don't get out, you know, so, so you, you experience it and then you move on. And so I think that's, I think that would be the big lesson that I'd like people to at least consider to think about as a suggestion is don't be afraid of those emotions. It's a beautiful thing. Actors get paid a lot of money to portray emotions. So <laughs> they, they, can't be, they can't be ugly. And so experiencing them. And of course, then, then if we're free to experience them, guess what? We're also free to experience joy and laughter and cheerfulness, a big smile and enthusiastic, that was amazing, or a big laugh when something funny happens in a movie or a television show or a comedy. You know, so we, we can experience these things without being afraid of them either. Oh my God, I'm gonna look stupid because I just laughed, you know. <laughs> we need, it yeah. would be great to feel free to express these emotions, of course, in appropriate context. I, I, I would not want to be in a train and have somebody expressing and, you know, enthusiastic, boisterous, loud laughter throughout the whole journey when I'm trying to concentrate, you know. A little bit's okay, but you know, so there's, there's of course appropriateness as well, but, I also wouldn't want to forbid someone from, you know, laughing briefly if that makes them feel good because laughter is contagious. But um, I know I love it. But yeah. So, um, yeah. Justin, I just want to ask you. I know we're running out of time, but I just want to ask you a question quickly um, about mm. how you um, you went through all these things. Of course, like we all do during in life, you get dumped and you you don't get the job you want or whatever. Um, did you find in retrospect that it was actually a blessing at the time? Well, at the time it wasn't, but in retrospect, was it a blessing? Yeah, and that's that's a it's another interesting aphorism. I think the the in the in the seeds of adver, uh, adversity is the seed of a greater 
greatness, something like that. In other words, I, I forget the exact quote, but I, and, and there's been different versions of it, but in adversity is the seed of greatness, you know? So in those things, in those moments where, you know, yeah, I was thinking, oh gosh, what am I gonna do? You know, looking back on it, you kind of laugh at it, you know? We look back on it because, you know, it, it just led to a lot of things. It also was very interesting because in retrospect, you could have seen it coming miles away because you were miserable in that relationship and you, or you were miserable in that workplace. I certainly was. And I was like looking for new job. I, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the worst job ever. And so then when I got fired, I'm like, how dare you fire me? I hate <laughs> you. You hate me, but don't you fire me, you know? And it's like, it, it's, it was interesting. And, then, and so it is what it is. Uh, in the relationship with say it was miserable relationship you know I was getting yelled at all the time and bitched at all the time and mm. and it was just not comfortable and I just I just didn't know what to do I was like I was committed but at the same time I was miserable so eventually when I got dumped I'm like you dumped me. I'm like it was actually a blessing it's what I've been asking for is go <laughs> go away and so then when, when they actually went away I was hurt, which is really funny now to me. I was hurt, but I wanted them to go away. I'm much happier and I've been much happier. It's, this was like seven years ago, single than I ever was with this person. So, <laughs> I like, but, but when it happened, I was like hurt. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. So looking back on it, yeah. And a lot of, so, so there's those, those two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. There's the side of it that, you know, it was, you know, you should have seen it coming. I wanted this. And then there's the side of the coin where it was actually a blessing. Now, there are times, of course, when, you know, I, I lost a loved one, for example, like, you know, my, my grandfather or my grandmother, I was very close to my grandparents. When they passed away, that was not pleasant. Is there a, is there a blessing in that? I don't, I haven't found a blessing in the death of my grandmother from stomach cancer. You know, I, 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 I it's there. So it's not a universal truth, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a thing where, where that, there is a part where if you look at, you know, in, like in Star Wars, where they come back as little spirits or whatever, there is a part of it where, you know, her not being here has enabled me to reflect on her life, as opposed to if she was still here, I probably wouldn't do that, mm-hmm. but I was able to reflect on her life and the positive sides of it, not the negative sides of it, and just look at that. And, and whatever negatives were there, I can also learn from. But mm-hmm. it was just really just look at what was the best of my my grandma Adele, what was the best of my grandpa Jacob. So so their passing is in a way enabled them to to be my spirit guides in a way, you know. And and so there is a there is some blessing in that too. Mm-hmm. You know, people would look at, you know, what if you lost a spouse to, you know, a deadly disease or something like that. And it's like, you know, it's tough to tell someone, oh, there's a blessing in that, you know. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there's a blessing in the death of your beloved pet or whatever. I'm just saying that that there there might be in that space something that you don't currently see that in years time or months time or whatever you will look at and and understand that you've been able to do or achieve or somebody else was able that that's that that blessing may be a little bit hard to spot mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying but i do think that it's potentially there even with the loss of a, of a loved one it is potentially there and worth 
looking for. Generally, when you look for something, you find it. So worth looking for, but gently, because it might take years to realize. Well, on that note, um, where can people find you, Justin? There's just so much, and I'm sure everybody wants to just find out more. Yeah, so, I mean, at this stage of my life, honestly, the best place to find me is to connect with me on social media and send me a DM, you know, send me a direct message. I'm, I'm present on there. I do have an assistant, but I'm not yet at that point where I'm comfortable delegating my social media or my schedule. So I know some people do, and eventually maybe I'll get to the size where I'm comfortable delegating that, or maybe not, but I am relatively accessible through that so the best place is whether it's instagram or whether it's the twitter or the facebook i'm just in done i'm transparent i'm not i I don't pretend like i'm someone else so it's just the way my name is spelled which is j-u-s-t-i-n-d-o-n-n-e and you just find me on there connect with me and and you know you can see lots of pictures of my cats or you know (laughs) on instagram but also a lot of personal development quotes that i post all the time which are you know, guides and all of that, uh, you know, on my Facebook page or that, you know, I do share some interesting things uh, or on LinkedIn, I'm on there as well. So those are the places where people can do that. And, you know, we can have conversations there. You know, I, obviously I don't have the capacity to have, you know, a thousand conversations in, in a day, but, you know, I'm relatively accessible, relatively happy to connect with people and meet people if they're interested in finding out more, doing more, but that's really the best place. I don't, I don't have some kind of magic landing page where I sell anything or, 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 or giving stuff away. I do have a book coming out soon for two actually coming one oh, on cat and one on business. I have my cat book soon called the kitty boss. And I have my uh, business book coming soon called the fail factor, but um, you know, for protection from failure, but uh, I have, I have a few, uh things but for now you know those are coming soon for now the best thing is just to connect on social media and we can have a conversation or you can just stalk me there for a while that's fine too (laughs) see if you like the flavor uh so that's that's what that's honestly my my suggestion for everyone so if you just uh post the uh you know at symbol and spell my name correctly they'll find me i'm really easy to find well, thank you, Justin. And he, I was just wondering, I don't see, you don't have a cat sitting on your lap, do you? No, no, no. I have a cat uh, sitting uh, across the room from me over there. My, my <laughs> Charlotte is over there. Oh, is she there? Looking at you looking with at a me, beautiful supervising. <laughs> yeah, supervising what we're doing. I mean, she sometimes will sit here, sometimes there. It just depends. Today, she's in the mood to sit over there. She knows I'm talking about her, so she's giving me the smile, you know, cat smile by squinting. <laughs> So, and then, and then opening their eyes. So she's opening and squinting and opening and squinting and opening yeah. and squinting because she knows I'm talking about her. But yeah, no, I don't have a cat on my lap right now. Otherwise, I'd, I'd pick her up and show you. And then my Emily is somewhere upstairs, I think. Oh, I love them. So you really have, everyone needs to go and see your cats because they are beautiful, even if they just stalk you to see your cats. One question before we go. <laughs> what change do you want to be in the world? Sorry, say that again. What change do you want to be in the world? What change do I want to be in the world? Mm. So my big thing, which I, I don't think I've shared this before, is I, I, I do call myself a transformative change catalyst. <laughs> wow. And I chose that because 
transformative is the whole point of change. What's the point of changing? There's no transformation involved. It's just intellectual stimulation. That's good too, but I want transformation. And mm -hmm. catalyst, because there's the word cat in it, to be honest with you. But, um, but that's cat yeah, but the cat, the kind of transformation that I'd like to see, the kind of change that I'd like to see in the world is just a place that's more compassionate. When I work with businesses, I try to, I never sell it because nobody wants compassion in business. They want profits, but I try to approach it and try to sneak it in where we're behaving in a more compassionate way towards our employees, towards our staff towards our suppliers, our vendors, our customers, where we understand that we're, we're all in this together. Mm. And it's, it's not, it doesn't do you much good to exploit someone else, whether they're, you're exploiting your customer and ripping them off, whether you're exploiting your employees. I see it in the charity sector all the time and, and underpaying them and expecting them to deliver all this hard work when you're not paying them enough to, to really keep up with inflation, for example, mm -hmm. you know, because you're so proud of your, you know, so, so I see that, or whether it's towards your suppliers, your vendors, your, whatever stakeholders there are, it's just, a, it's not necessary to take advantage of people and exploit them to prosper. It's just not necessary. It, it's, it's an argument I had with a certain, you know, company once, and I lost the argument. But, uh, but it was purchasing pins that were designed by the company and, and then pins that you wear yes. from China. And they were purchasing them at three cents per pin and selling them for anywhere between $7 and $15. Now that's a huge profit margin. Wow. But those people in China, this was 10, 15 years ago, but those people were, a lot of those workers could not even afford a toilet, meaning they, their, their home did not have a toilet in it. Sure. They were living in abject poverty, mm -hmm. just one step away from just the street and wilderness. And I, the way I looked at it is, is twofold. Number one, your profit margins would be excellent even if you paid 15 cents per pin, yes. because it's not even like you're, you're paying half the price and say, you're not paying $3. You know, what if you paid 50 cents a pin, you'd still selling them for $7. Mm -hmm. So you could increase that and then increase their well-being. But then I said, this de de dependency that you're developing on them, they could change the rules on you one day and then your business is gone. Yes. And so that developing that dependency on China is something that I spotted 15 years ago. And I said, we, need, we really need to beware because once we're dependent on them for our livelihoods, our businesses, we can no longer make rational decisions on what's happening over there politically. Mm. And today we're seeing the consequences of that. We're seeing the consequences of that in politics but a lot of that is also tied to business. Mm. The politicians, we can't blame them so harshly because they're making decisions because they know that a lot of their voters are dependent on that, yes. are dependent on the suppliers over there. Mm. And so it's very, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not, Chinese people are wonderful people. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I'm just simply stating a fact that developing a dependence on them mm. 
weakens our position in negotiating and our just our decision-making ability because we're dependent on them. We yeah. cannot cut the cord because that then will suffer. Our businesses will go bankrupt. Yeah. So, because we have no supplier. <laughs> and so my thing is, is that if we approach things from a compassionate place and we said, we can't do business with you. You're not paying these people. And we're, I'm not going to do business with it. They're, they're not making a living wage. Mm-hmm. If you pay them a living wage, then we'll do business with you. Then we would be able to do that. And so that living in a world where we're not constantly looking at that exploitative factor, because um, a lot of cultures are still exploitative. So, you know, the British empire is no longer doing that. The French empire is no longer doing that, but the vestiges of that, of of that sort of way of operating where we need to exploit someone I don't know. It's just, it's still there. It's still there, even in workplaces where we underpay people, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. if you can't afford to pay them, then you just, you, you can't afford to hire them. Yes. Agreed. And yet the excuse keeps coming out that, well, we need this, we need that. Well, like, you might need it, but you, you obviously can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So maybe your, maybe your business just needs to go out of business, you know, <laughs> from an, ethic, an ethical point of view. I really think that, um, you know, that's an issue and mm-hmm. i and i and the change i'd like to see in the world really is just to to make it a more compassionate place so i do that on my scale of influence that i'm able to do with the people groups organizations that i work with and support you know and it'd be nice to to just see a more compassionate place less mm-hmm. hustle less trying to hustle take advantage of someone and more let's just all let's just all win together let's create yeah. scenarios where where it's beneficial for all of us for both of us and i'm not even talking about the planet my particular thing is not the envi- i mean i care about the environment obviously because if you know if we spoil and scorch the planet well, we'll all die but yeah. my particular thing is is humanity i think if we're compassionate towards ourselves towards others towards animals you know i'm you know compassion towards the environment as well that to me would be the and if and I think that that evolves naturally when people attain higher states of well-being or consciousness, whatever you want to talk about. That evolves naturally. You just naturally become that way. That's why I'm never afraid of freedom, because as long as people are evolving in a positive direction, they actually become more ethical, more compassionate, more kind. They don't become more aggressive. They don't become more criminal. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't, unless they go down, unless they go the route of degradation and harm then they become so you know as people become healthier they become better and more ethical and that's a good wonderful comment on humanity it's my observation and others as well not just me and i think that's a wonderful thing Mm. so that's the change i'd like to be so compassion just bring some more compassion into our world Mm. and it starts with us sure because I think a lot of people are really cruel to themselves, um, beating themselves up for things that they don't do or they do or whatever it is. So that's a start. Oh, hello. Yeah, I mean, your, 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 your nasty, harsh critic is probably very nasty and harsh on himself. Yes. Unless he's a sociopath, but those are the minority. <laughs> we, need to, we need to understand that. that as, I bring that up because they're there and there's a lot of them, but it accounts for, you know, what, two, 3% of the population max. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and it's, it's, a, it's a medical, it's a physiological thing. The brain, and interestingly enough, the brain, the frontal cortex is smaller 
Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Smaller. And, well, I suppose it makes sense, though. And the other, th the other thing is, is they do not get so. So most people probably listening to this have are not even if though even if they might be worried. Oh my God, maybe maybe I am, but they don't they don't have a physiological reaction to things like fear or anxiety. So, so if they go to public speak, it doesn't make them nervous. If they go to murder someone, it doesn't make them nervous. They don't like, if, if I accidentally killed a human, I would be very fearful. I'd be like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, I, I would, my heart would be like, I might faint, yes. you know? They, no, no problem. Just like eating a, a hamburger or whatever, no mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, that inability to, to do that, and of course, the smaller cortex is is just a very interesting distinction. Of course, we can't, you know, ask everyone to, you know, let me X-ray your brain, but it's just it, it is a interesting phenomenon. But it accounts for a minority of the population, um, and you know, we just need to also be a little bit aware that some of these people giving us advice, uh, some of these gurus, not saying who, and I'm not saying none of the ones we've talked about they do fall into that classification. So we need to watch out because uh, who we're taking that advice from. And that's why I say better to watch what they're doing rather than listen to what they say yes. and follow their instructions because it sometimes doesn't match. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> it is. Oh, thank you so much, Justin. Um, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. And... Um, We'll have to have a follow up because there's been so many, we've gone, there's so many avenues. You'll just have to go and finish one and then go to the next one. Sure. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great fun to talk to you again and talk to you about something else and follow the rabbit holes wherever they lead. Yes, I love that. <laughs> They're so dangerous awesome. though. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Justin. It's been an honor thank and you. a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. We will see you all soon. Thank you, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this or to the end. I'm so excited to have you here. It's an awesome honor. Thank you. And now as promised, let me tell you a bit about the contest. But first, I'd like to tell you about the possible prizes up for grabs. We'll have break-free coaching sessions worth $350, signed books from authors and poets, and all the awesome interviewees that we will meet during the course of the year. There'll be crystals and perfumes and all sorts of other exciting things depending on the guest for that week. So without further ado, click down below and see all the details for the contest. Oh, and by the way, we also have some surprises just for fun. So click down below and remember to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any possibility of winning any of these awesome, awesome prizes. And we'll see you on the other side. I look forward to meeting you. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you. Thank you again for being here and have an incredible week. Goodbye for now.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 